Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 80, Holiday Time at Walt Disney World. So tonight we'll be going through all different types of holiday items that have happened at Walt Disney World, and uh, I know Brian's been studying this. So Brian, I'm going to welcome you to the program as always, uh, because... You've been researching this. The holiday time is your time. Seasons greetings and salutations. There you go. There's my holiday edit. And coming in from Ohio, Mr. J.T. Couger. How are you doing tonight, J.T.? I am great. Uh, getting ready for the holiday season here. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a blizzard coming uh, soon. Ooh. That's the word at the end of this alleged. week. Let's say alleged. I know. It's alleged. It, you know, it's it's always the first one gets everybody all excited and then we panic, and then people crash. It's just too much. It's, you know, we'll just wait and see what happens. Yeah. Well, CJT, you, you kind of feel right now, and the area feels just like how it feels when there's a hurricane coming, but it's six days away. They don't know if it's coming or if it's just going to veer off to the right or the left. or Right, How and, and how I know, and welcome to the show, How I'm introducing you via, <laughs> via a, a weather report. but uh, Smooth uh, transition. That's a lo- that's a, yeah. That's a lovely way to do it. It keeps yeah. it topical. Exactly, exactly. I can't uh, decide, Todd, if I enjoy your voice this way or not. It sounds like a little more silky smooth, <laughs> like on it, the it is a little classic. It's here, a Shadow yeah. Stevens type of very thing, sh- and I was outside all the morning. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have a uh, Perry Como selection come up next, and uh, exactly three, maybe four it's, it's Ray Conniff classics. <laughs> Select me for Center Square. That's all we need to do tonight. So, but uh, yeah, and how how I know you said you you were. You don't mind the hurricane, but you worry about blizzards. And, and where I am, I, I would worry about hurricanes and not mind blizzards. So it's very much reversed. It, it's the thing that you're accustomed to. Exactly. That, exactly. That, absolutely. So, well, I'm going to turn it back over to JT I, here for I, the Let me just uh, jump for listener. a second. Oh, please. Speaking for the three of us up here in the Northeast, do we really worry about a blizzard? I mean, I think no. we look forward to no. them, don't we? Like, it's like, yes, yeah, yes. it's going to be cool. I got my eggs, my milk, my bread. Some stuff here to cook and bake. and Now, I will say, I feel Brian and I are different than Todd. Todd has a slight worry of a power outage. Because doesn't that happen to you in a blizzard? It, Whereas I've never had that happen in a blizzard. It, it, it does, and we've got the generator, so it's never a, a, a concern. And, you know, we, we've had some ice storms years ago where it was five or six, seven yeah. days. And that was before we had a generator. And that's those are the, the really... But they're few and far between. And um, I, I guess this is a good question. How How... What is the concern of the blizzard? Because we could have we could have a snowstorm come through here. I'm just, I'm just telling you, and it dropped twenty four so, inches yeah, of snow, feet, and I'm at the I, grocery store the next day. It's not a problem. I will tell you, having having grown up 
in the western New York area yeah. outside of Buffalo and the lake effect snows. It's oh, very yeah. different from what you gentlemen experienced. That's true. Just what you know, Buffalo I, went through. I lived through the blizzard of 77 when we got six or seven feet of snow dumped on us in a matter of hours. It doesn't, doesn't every city, we have one of those in Akron. I think ours might have been 76. Every, every city has the blizzard of <laughs> yeah. whatever. That's true. That's true. And then they make like the Monopoly games yes, based on that. Too. that. Yeah, uh-huh. my mom and dad had that. Yeah. Yep. But I, I had relatives in other years that were at the mall shopping and the blizzard came out of nowhere and they were trapped in the mall Whoa. for two or three days. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a little different. And even I still have relatives that live in in that area and even in the last two years it's like they had a blizzard come through and uh my brother-in-law bless his heart he knew that there was a an older woman that uh, was across the street in her house so he dug through four or five feet of snow <laughs> oh because i don't think he couldn't get to the garage to get to the snowblower so he had to do it with a um uh, shovel you know with a shovel old-fashioned so he, he dug his way across because uh, he needed to, uh, he knew he needed to open up her vent so that way her uh, heat exhaust could come out. Because mm. otherwise, you could die in the house. So he went over to the side of the house and then realized it was on the other side of the house. <laughs> so then he had to go Classic all the way mistake. back over to the other side of the house, opened it up, and then it was still snowing. So by the time he went to go back home, he had to shovel himself out reshovel out the path that he had taken to get over to that so that's just the kind of stuff where that's a no no thank you a a blizzard (laughs) in the 70s seems much more scary than a blizzard now for some reason too to me i don't know except it wasn't like they they just kind of i don't know i mean i guess you kind of rolled with it tougher back (laughs) then i think to a certain degree because now one of the things i mean i promise we'll we'll get to the holidays here in a second (laughs) get to disney but one one of the things that they used to do they handled things differently now we've come to expect at least where we live uh public works crews and state highway workers are prepared there's pre-treating of the roads they the they know when they go out there happen, to yeah. to plow and where to plow and it was a lot more kind of catch as catch can before the standards developed. I read a really interesting thing uh, in the actually the opening note of one of the Vermont Country Store catalogs that came a few months back that talked about Vermont winters uh, and how prior to the like sixties. Instead of plowing the snow, they used to tamp it down on the roads and leave it there all winter. Hmm. And everybody oh. just drove on the on the on the packed in snow mm-hmm. because it didn't make any sense for them. They didn't have the technology and the wherewithal back then. Uh, and they weren't as obsessed with clearing the road as, you know, you just drove slower and the world wasn't in as much of a hurry and people didn't work two hours from home and things like, you know, it's just so I was I, I just I think about that a lot now when I'm driving around like well that's really interesting that that's how they used to do it but right, you right. know you couldn't I'm sure insurance companies and a lot of other people wouldn't want that now because people slip and fall and sue you for a bajillion dollars but <laughs> everybody expects it to as a owner of commercial real estate you know and that's that's our business I can mm-hmm. tell you like you've got like a 12 hour window to. Make sure all your sidewalks are bone dry, no matter what has happened, or courts start holding you liable. So that's it. Tamp down your snow yeah, next so time. We're getting ready yeah. for, and if you're catching this in the middle of a blizzard, you know, 
hang in yeah, there. Just it'll, they'll click. It'll, it'll, it'll pass. It'll that pass. guy will come dig up your house eventually. Pour yourself, or or just just jet off the the house place. He'll, he'll or take anywhere in the you know the south will be fine. A nice southern vacation. Nice warm weather vacation. Otherwise, put the fireplace on. Pour yourself something that'll keep you warm and enjoy yep. the beauty. So JT, what have we got in the mailbag? This is you're kind of like Santa right now, right? You got the, I know, the mailbag. It's a, and, I, I do have a velvet thing. sack for this time. Of day. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it over his back. Yes. And, uh, all right, so I'm going to take it back a little bit, and this is uh, in in honor. Now I don't know how you guys celebrate the. I mean, I do, but you know, it's uh, everybody does something a little different, and we've developed a little tradition. Um, which it, when I think about this, it's kind of absurd, but we always, we, in the past, I think since we've been doing this six, seven years now, um, we have a January trip to the world, uh, to Florida and, mm-hmm. uh, for marathon weekend. And there's always a, the Meekum car auction is down there. So sometimes we go down there for that different things, but, uh, this year we'll be down there for the marathon again. And, uh, I wanted to share because that's coming, uh, one of our friends, Steve sent us, and Todd actually converted this. It's for the original 1994 commemorative marathon VHS tape. And it's on yeah. our YouTube channel. Um, and I'm going to link it in the show notes because I think it's fitting for this time of the year because we got some runners that listen to the show. And uh, it, it really takes you back to the uh, how small that event was and how big it is now uh, and the difference. So that's going to be our first. Uh, it's not necessarily a piece of mail, but Steve, I wanted to give... Him a shout out. I know he's a, a fan of the show. So uh, thanks for that, Steve. Next up, uh, I'm sure uh, if you're listening to the show and you're not driving and you have one of our five legged goats, go ahead and raise your hand because I'm sure there's a lot of you out there. Uh, well, we got some interesting pictures and we'll share some of those in the show notes. But uh, our friend Greg wrote us and. Um, Todd, maybe you can explain this one. Yeah. Greg's arrived uh, with two red noses. Yes. And uh, Greg decided to <laughs> make his unique and not the way you might be thinking. He uh, took the red eyes and uh, stuck them onto the eyeball. So he right, now right. has the evil five-legged goat. The demonic one. five-legged goat. Yeah, the, the idea was that, and the reason we asked to put two in there is a very small little four or five so millimeter beads. And a spare. Like a Rudolph. A spare. Yeah, it was a spare. So if in case you lost it, bounced on the floor, you, you know, you wanted to make your your uh, goat into a Rudolph, you you have the capability to do that. So I appreciate the ingenuity. And and I do want to apologize. We did have a number of goats break in transit uh, to, to some people. You know, that's we always have a we account for a number of breakages. It happens each well, year. Well, you know, so. Todd, n- nobody can make anything perfect like God. So that's of true. Course, that's true. Yes, the five legged uh, So consider if you did get a broken one, you're, it's actually more unique. Yeah. Uh, the cracks were all unique. But, but I will say for the amount that we sold, uh mm-hmm. and shipped uh it was uh, like less than a five percent damage ratio oh, yeah. in the mail yep um, and we got everybody traded out with a yep. good old goat so yep and we, we we might have those a couple of the scratch and dent goats yeah. i gotta i gotta all do a little all work repaired, on them. only only you know like yep. not visible it's gonna be like the red dot sweater that george got elaine on seinfeld <laughs> yeah like a pre- cpo sales a certified pre-owned What's that red so. dot on there yeah. Crazy, crazy Bob's broken repair goats. <laughs> Blowing out goats, guys. <laughs> the manager's away and we've gone nuts. <laughs> All right, next so, up. Thank uh, you to everybody that donated. Oh, yeah. uh, and because yeah, that's, and really we got some uh, uh, Mickey Towers Some holiday there. towers have shipped out this year. There's a handful yeah. left, that, uh, but most of those are gone. And, you know, people have... Uh, I love people sending us these pictures of... 
you know, the five or six years now of ornaments that we've done uh, all on oh, their we're tree. We're going to talk about yeah. that here, Brian. Yeah. I, got, yep. I got a couple here of these saved. And uh, But first, I wanted to get to this, and you guys could maybe speak to this. Jim wrote in, um, going back to Hollywood Studios here, he uh, heard years ago, and he saw an article uh, that uh, the hat in front of the Grauman's Chinese Theater was put there for a specific reason. And he read that because Grauman's changed hands, the hat was put there to obscure the view. Any legitimacy to that? Or is this just like an urban legend that uh, has spun out of control? So based on that letter, I started to do a bit of research into the any is there any possibility or shred of possibility that that could be I, true I, before you begin that i want to say i have lived off the how bowers principle which is that architecture cannot be copyrighted so i'll throw it back over to you my immediate assumption when i read that was there's no way that's the reason why because how has always told us that architecture can't be copyrighted so i think that was i think that was todd that what that pointed okay. that one out yeah, like prior yeah. prior to a certain year, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, I'd have to go back and find my sources on, but that yeah, that's exactly what we found out that architecture and shapes can't be can't be copyrighted in terms of a replication of that building or facade or anything like that. So, uh, which so, is interesting, but it's very interesting. So, when it becomes the shape of something becomes a corporate symbol is a different thing, you know. Oh, like for like instance, a castle, like a castle with an arch over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> In fact, we hear rumors that the, they're they're going to change the paint, the way that uh, Sleeping Beauty Castle is painted at Disneyland. It's just going to be made of bars and blocks, you know, no, just like, just like uh -huh. the just like the video. <laughs> so, um, so I I dug into what was going on from a corporate level and looked for trademarks and things like that because that that's where I think if something was going to happen, that's that's probably where it would have ended up is in, in trademark land. What I did discover is yes, in fact. Grauman's Chinese. There were a couple of times when that was uh, handed off from one company to another. And this was past 1989, though. So Park was open. Um, but it does kind of align in the timeline of when the hat starts to show up. So I think that's probably why um, this became a big deal. And, and what I found were some uh, some articles in The Hollywood Reporter after the uh, the theater was sold to a group and they realized that there were any number of souvenir, you know, stands up and down Hollywood Boulevard that were selling, you know, merchandise with the Grumman's Chinese theater on it. And they felt, Oh, we have lost out on this humongous opportunity here, you know, to, to try to capitalize on this asset that we own. Um, but I think as, as Todd said, it's not copyrightable. So they attempted to trademark, you know, I think I can't remember which variation it was, but they, they attempted to trademark uh, something with Chinese theater and then kind of a, um, a logo rep more of a logo representation of the Chinese theater. Um, it got rejected. They resubmitted. There's this whole back and forth over the course of two or three years of trying to get the trademark office to accept it. And ultimately, they never did. And the theater was then resold to yet another group um, and then eventually got sold to TCM. So during all of that back and forth, they never did manage to get the trademark put forward to that. Now, the fact that they were trying to do that, would that be enough to scare Disney into putting the hat there? 
I don't think so. You know, the, the original, I think, location of the hat was supposed to be out by the water and there were very grand plans for it um, to be to have two Ferris wheels attached to it and then the hat in the middle. So the Ferris wheels would be like ears. Um, the big issue with that was um, funding. They no one wanted to pay for this uh, for the icon. Uh, I, and I don't know who who paid for the one at Epcot. Um, but ultimately, the merchandise department um, paid to have the uh, the ear hat thing uh, erected, which is why it became a pin trading and a pin sales station after the interactive kiosks were removed after the 100 years of Walt Disney. So it would have made no sense for them to build it outside of the park when they were trying to use it. They knew that they would ultimately use it to sell merchandise. So... I, in, I think that's what it was. So I think the rumor comes from these rumblings that they were going to try to trademark the building. It never really happened. And I, so I think it was just a coincidence that all of this happened and to go down. It, at the same and time. it really was. Um, um, from the mid 90s, they had been inching. <laughs> it was like a 15 year inch away from the MGM aspect of the Disney MGM studios. Uh, in fact, we caught a very early uh, souvenir reference, like 94, 95, something like that, where they just called it the Disney studios in the souvenir video and did not mention the word MGM. Uh, it was like blurred in that uh, yeah. day at the Disney yep. MGM studios. So, so there, there, there was like a long, I mean, we all know there was a dispute uh, over, what the agreement covered over time and they you know, MGM. Oh, you know, right. Af after MGM wanted to build their theme right. park in the, in the Las Vegas. You know, parking so, so, so there was a, like from almost from the inception, there was a, a you know, a strained relationship, uh, which is why when the 20 years expired of the agreement that Disney just wiped MGM off the map from the, from the park and said, that's, you know, that's it. Now it's just the Disney Hollywood studios. Um, yeah, and over time they had built stages that were in front of yeah. it. So I mean, it wasn't as if you know they were starting to do live event. It was a huge, you know, beautiful right. open courtyard. And, so and although the somebody at some point is right. is going to go like we need to. Put and although there. the Chinese theater is not an MGM thing, it, it, it you know it's not a Disney thing. And it, that by by the you know turn of the century, they really you know they wanted everything Disney branded Disney branded Disney branded and related to Disney and so to do Walt's 100th birthday and that was the flagship park for his 100th anniversary um you know the hat went there and it continued its reign of terror for 15 years before they finally <laughs> took it down and it just you know it's funny when they took it down the the discussions of the groups of people uh the ages you know that the people who mostly knew the park with the hat were attached to it. You know, these this younger millennial generation were all upset, and those of us who had spent twenty years with the park without it were like, "Oh, thank God, this is finally ending!" <laughs> like the the Romans are finally leaving town and restoring local control. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just. What's weird about that park, though, is I feel like the icon has kind of been shifting all the time. Like for a minute. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the icon was the the Chinese theater, mm -hmm. and then it went to you know kind of the earful tower here and there, and the Tower of and Terror. Then we went to, well, yeah, that came later. That came after yep. the hat because I feel like the yep. hat was the big like you know you'd see the 
the castle, the I, spaceship all, all, Earth. All I'm saying is it's not a good thing to be the icon for that park because you're, you know, it could be the first sign that your your days are numbered. I know. Don't say I love Tower <laughs> Terror. <They can't> <laughs> you know, I, it's, I, it's, I don't know. It's coming, I feel like, but I don't know when. There's an interesting thing that uh, also was used for a period of time. If you remember the archway, every now and then they would use the archway. But yes. they were also, on top of that, they had the, the, I don't know what the official term is, the movie clapper, the, 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 yeah. the time coder. That was used as well uh, with and without Mickey on it. So it was, look, the park has had an identity crisis since the day it opened. So sure. the logo is no, nothing different. So. All right. Well, there you go, Jim. Uh, appreciate that uh, letter. And that's our... Uh, history on the sorcerer hat and everything else next one is just uh I'll, I'll end up sharing these pictures but scott clark wrote us he got his goat earlier last month and uh he uh has said it has a prominent place on his tree next to the earful tower the pumpkin is there um he's searching for a gertie so if anybody wants to sell scott their their gertie yeah we're short on gertie sorry those are all all gone actually i i had mine and it dropped the other day and she's now very much headless oh no will, will she be yeah. undergoing surgery or i have to find the head first <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's in the basement i have to tell you it has rolled where, where mine is packed it, it gets a very protected place in the ornament uh box that that gets stored away and i always know when i lift that one layer over top of it off it's like the first thing that comes out very carefully i'm like make sure gertie gets on okay and <laughs> Uh, Scott also sent us a, uh, a picture here of he took his Carousel of Progress ornament onto the Disney Fantasy for Halloween on the High Seas. And uh, some pretty good pictures of this we can share out. Uh, he's holding the pumpkin right next to the pumpkin display on the, the ship. Pretty clever to see that. So we've had a one of our ornaments on the open ocean. Which it's is, been in I, international I my, waters. All right. <laughs> I guess it, it probably was too on the journey here, but still it was uh, very cool, <laughs> Scott. Thank you for that. Uh, next one, Richard and I have been uh, communicating back and forth. Richard is uh, another runner, but uh, this one actually applies to us very well. Richard did uh, the half marathon it looks like wine and dine and richard ran the entire half marathon in a roy's cabin shirt so very very exciting All right and, and it it rained so richard had to do it and looking at this i i'm guessing he has it on a a cotton shirt in the rain in a half marathon so richard you are a better man than i am to to get through 13 miles in a cotton wet cotton t-shirt that's that's baller right there so Congratulations on the run, Richard, and how he also did the, uh, I think it's the 10K in a uh, Plaza Swan Boat shirt. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, so that's Richard there. Last one, here we go. A little update from our friend Scott Jensen on the filming of him on the uh, Haunted Mansion. Uh, he did give us a little more insight. He said he wanted to share some pictures. Now, bear in mind, uh, Scott, I don't think I'm going to share the pictures just because they're they're. Scott took them on the down low, and while we don't want to totally share uh, behind the scenes photos that were illegally taken, uh, they're kind of blurry too, and you got to really squint to see them. But either way, uh, Scott was aware that they were filming. He said uh, it was when when they were closing during the last few hours of the park, and uh, he saw lots of people working and things like that. 
He did say, too, that when he went through the graveyard scene, there was just bright lights everywhere for the filming, so he could see all the clear raincoats on the ghosts and all that stuff in there. And uh, he said the whole ride looks very different, but uh, he loves that uh, behind-the-scenes aspect. And uh, he's, he's got pictures. He, he told, told us he's got the director there. I mean, a whole crew, film crew standing next to him on the ride next to the Doom Buggies. It's, it's something else. But uh, as always, we're searching for more people that have been featured uh, in either souvenir guidebooks or the must-dos with Stacy or anything like that. Uh, and... and I'm sure there's people out there that don't even know they are featured still to this day. So All we know is everybody out. in those pictures is somebody. So if you're one yeah. of those somebodies, let us know. Uh, so that's going to do it. We're going to get into the holiday spirit here, but lots of uh, good stuff here. Actually, sorry, one more. Christian, thank you for your photo. Uh, he's a former Audio Rewind listener. He sent us a photo he's got on his tree uh, Walt's plane, Retro Magic, the, uh, uh, gosh, what ride was the blue vehicle from? Um, I'm oh, Journey into Imagination. Journey into Imagination. He's got the tower, he's got the goat, he's got Gertie, and he's got the pumpkin all on a little mini tree. So we'll share that one out as well, Christian. Thank you for sharing it. All right, now I'm going to close the mailbag. If you would like to send us any letters, any pictures, any memories, podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, there's a chance for any letter or picture to end up on the show. And, uh, we try to get to all of them, respond to all of them, but, uh, we do get a lot. So please be patient with us. Yeah. And I've got one correction. Oh from, gosh, you uh, do. That's, that's a, yeah. So, so a couple of episodes ago, I wonder's life part two, we were talking about the, I was talking about the Thunderdome and the lightning and the rays and, and Dan Skinner, who has a much better memory than myself, <laughs> Uh, wrote in and corrected us. And he said he happened to be there during uh, spring break in 1988. So he got to go uh, to the dome when it was like right after it was open. So he said it was built as the Florida Suncoast Dome and it was done to attempt to lure a relocated Major League Baseball team or an expansion franchise to Tampa Bay. And he said he was here uh, on vacation in 1988 during spring break and it was under construction. I mean, uh, he was just like, what's, what is that? What is that dome? Uh, just like Brian. There? See? Yeah. <laughs> what's happening in that dome? <laughs> so, um, so Tampa tried to lure the Chicago White Sox, the San Francisco Giants, or the uh, Seattle Mariners, all the St. Pete. That failed. Uh, and then in 1993, when they were handing out the um, uh, expansions franchises, uh, MLB went with Miami and Denver instead of Tampa. So we got shut out. And so um, the Lightning uh, began as an expansion franchise in 92, 93. And they were just kind of handing out franchises willy-nilly in the NHL if there was a market. All you needed were like 10,000 fans in a temporary venue. So we got that. Um, they played their inaugural season at the Expo Hall at the Florida State Fairgrounds, which I actually saw a couple of games there. It was crazy. It's like one of those old style, just like metal shed buildings. Right. And the rink was in the middle and the bleachers, but it was fun. It was a really small, sort of more intimate crowd. And it was actually really, really cool. Um, and he said, this, had said the same thing. It was it was really a blast to see that. Uh, and he actually saw two of the Lightning games while he was on spring break in 93. So he's coming down to the Tampa Bay Area and, and seeing some games too. Oh. Um, um, so 
the expo hallway wasn't even like a was a very temporary solution and the florida suncoast dome was available so it was rechristened the thunderdome yeah. and it became the home of the lightning for three seasons from 1993 to 1996 and also, uh, it became the the stadium for arena football, which I completely forgot about. Oh that my was gosh. That, yeah, that was a thing. It was uh, a thing. That was a it was, that was a big push for that too. No, oh, it was, I'll tell you here it was really popular. Our our rivals were Orlando, and that was the first kind of like battle. You know, the the first battle across I four thing was <laughs> us versus Orlando because we always finished first and second in the in the league uh like in years that we played so um so that's what they said the reason the thunderdome name really stuck was because we had the storm and the lightning playing there um and so um it said the thunderdome was a wild venue for hockey with record crowds watching the lightning play in a stadium built for baseball (laughs) uh Oh, he says, like, my brother Doug famously mocked on the podcast by Brian for enjoying the Lance Tortellini Alfredo in the summer. Saw a game there in 1995. And uh, the Lightning hosted an NHL playoff record crowd of 28,183 against the Philadelphia Flyers on April 23rd, 1996. Uh, And then finally, in 1995, Tampa was awarded the last of an expansion team, uh, the Devil Rays, who began to play in 1998. Uh, they opened up the Ice Palace in downtown Tampa, which is now called Amelie Arena. That was completed in 1996. Uh, and so the Lightning and the Storm moved to their permanent facility there in downtown Tampa, which left the Dome open in St. Pete. And when we got our Major League Baseball team, they got sponsored by Tropicana. Orange Juice became Tropicana Field. And uh, the Rays made their debut there on March 31st, 19. Well, it's nice to see so. some entity in Florida continuing to embrace the citrus uh, connection to Florida. Is it still called Tropicana Field? I don't remember. It's it is still called Very Tropicana good. Field. They are headquartered in Bradenton, Florida, which is just oh, forty five <clears throat> minutes south of us. Well, I so. raise my citrus swirl and glass of fresh squeezed <laughs> Florida orange juice to you all at Tropicana Field. I got to bring something retro up for Tropicana. So, no, no, this is good. This is good. My, I would go visit my grandparents who lived down on the Jersey Shore. And it was a kind of a ritual that grandma would make breakfast, usually bacon and eggs and pancakes. And Pork stuff. roll. But the first thing she would always have ready for me was a Tropicana orange juice. But not any Tropicana orange juice. We're not talking a half gallon. We're not talking the gallon. We're not talking a quart. It was the little mini individual servings of about six to eight ounces. They were in a plastic cup, had Tropicana print, and you would peel a, a little plastic tab back. Uh, the leftover plastic basically cut your upper lip as you drank from this special, special <laughs> Tropicana. So I have fond memories of that. So now I've got to look this up. The, the Tropicana single serve retro so is, the, is that similar to when you would get orange juice at mcdonald's and it would oh, come no. with a little tin and was it that no was, it wasn't that was the plastic yeah. cup with the peel off foil on top what a right. great oh, way yeah. to get your orange juice this was a, a magic you still have those at school Brian. yes i'll be right over i'm coming to, I'm coming to lunch tomorrow at your school <laughs> imagine a plastic pull tab like a shape of a triangle that you would pull back on the top i'll okay. see if i can find a picture of one because hmm. it really, uh, yeah, yeah. 
JT, my really cool. school, when I was in school years ago, uh, they had the apple juice that, that way with that peel-off top, except it was like half size of what McDonald's gave you. So it looked like, uh, like an applesauce cup now. Except that's, it, that's what we yeah, have, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I remember in middle and high school. And the, the the logo back then, too. Remember it had the, the, the little hula girl with the oranges on her head? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Tropicana so. girl. Yep. All right. All right, now I'm going to go off on this uh, hunt. So right. I'll be back <laughs> well, in a little bit. So we ready to talk about the holidays? Yeah, let's move on to the holidays. So, I, And, you know, hey... Oranges is, is a tradition in my family. Uh, always has been, and I always had an orange in my stocking every year. We talked about that on I, the, the movie I, last my, year. My mother had a Santa had an orange in our stocking every year at the bottom. Yeah. And uh, as I've, I think I've previously mentioned, uh, although I'm an adult, my mother continues to drop off a stocking every Christmas Eve. Uh, and I open it on Christmas morning, and eh, eight times out of ten, there's still an orange at the bottom of it. An orange and some Hershey Kisses are thrown in there, too. Yes, That's fantastic. Yes. But that was a very exotic gift back, you know, in oh, when, yeah. when the tradition began. Getting citrus fruit of any kind uh, was a real treat, so that's why mm-hmm. they were a big stocking uh, filler mm-hmm. in the first half of the well for all the 20th century but a very big deal in the first half of the 20th century so. well brian aren't you smart you're the one that's going to kick off the rest of this holiday holiday episode well so. so one of the uh i'll start off with a a bit of my presidential uh history uh stuff mm. in that harry truman was once asked about christmas as an older man after he left the white house and he said, the thing about Christmas is every year you just do the same thing over and over again. And it gets to be kind of repetitive. And then there are things that happen that change. In his case, it was when he finally had grandchildren. Uh, late in life, uh, I say Christmas became fun all over again for him. Uh, and I think there's, you know, I think you're, you're all at a certain age at different phases of your lives. Todd, your son's in his the back half of his teens and JT's got yep. very young children and Hal's got kids all over the age spectrum. Uh, but you, you, I think you find that there are things about Christmas that are repetitive and things that are exciting. So tonight I'm, I'm sharing that with you because tonight what, what happens is we're going to talk about some things that we've talked about on prior holiday podcasts. But if like us, you you know, we've talked about them, but you really don't remember what we said or some of it sounds familiar, well, it's the holiday time. So we're doing some of the same things again. Uh, And some of it will be new information, and some of it will be just stuff you've heard before, but brings a warm feeling to your heart, because that's what we do at the holidays. We we stick with traditions and things we miss and things we remember. And that I had that back-to-back Christmases, 1985, 6, and 7, was the transition of the toy Christmases. And my last toy Christmas was a gigantic one because it was like Star Wars and Transformers and He-Man like all at once. Was <laughs> I see the pictures from those Christmas mornings. Like, Man, it's a giant pile of presents. And then like the next year, everything is like computer games and a new bike and 
stuff like like if you just had completely grown out of toys over the course of like a year uh do any of you have any re recollections of that kind of transition because we're gonna relate that to disney you totally yeah there was uh you know it was the computer and then there was years of toys then it slowly morphed into more clothes and more uh, yeah you know it uh, i remember uh when, when i started getting into the computer components that was a big thing and it kind of <laughs> It components. took up the budget. We'll I, see. I, the, I have a picture of me holding up the mouse I got for Christmas, like the computer <laughs> yeah, mouse. It was a big yeah. deal. You know, like as a kid, you could open like 20 packages and then like, you know, one year I got a, a, a DVD burner and that was all I opened. Like it was like, this is it. And it was like, you know, very expensive <laughs> for the time. And that was a big gift. I, I ditto to JT, JT when you said toys computer clothes i mean that's exactly what i went through as well yep. the computer was a commodore on my side and the, i think it was 85 that the computer came in but there were still some toys i uh, my wife still that's a toy under the tree every year there's always some sort of junk that oh, i apparently lucky. need that I, I love toys i love toys uh so that hasn't and but you know yeah now that you're older you look forward to silly things like Oh, that's a really nice pair of socks. You're not throwing them over your shoulder. You're actually enjoying them. Like, I'm going to use this. Well, so, you do, re you do reach a point when you get older where you appreciate a present. But we're also mm -hmm. at a point, if I want something, I just go out and buy it for myself. Yeah, just get, yeah, just get so it. Right, right. It's that's like people ask, line. what can I get you? I don't know. Right. Nothing. Like I Now, there's another transition that happens, too. And, and uh, you know, there is the... You've gone through it once, you go through it again, you'll probably go through it a third time. We all grew up as kids and had that change. And then I had a child and he's gone through that change. And as Brian said, he's on the back half, uh, the back nine of his teens. Uh, and my hope is to go through that same experience again with grandchildren someday. someday. Too, so. Not too soon, though. No, no, not too soon. I <laughs> and there's two reasons for that. Because some of the very books that I got on Christmas morning and for my birthday some years are upstairs. I read them to my son. I can't wait to read them to my grandson or grandchild or granddaughter someday. And uh, I also have toys that I saved from my childhood as well as Colin's childhood. So oh, That's nice. Yeah, I have some stuff yeah, cool. that has never made it out of the... I mean, it's all out of the box and played with. It's just... Sure. I've, I've held on to and moved from place to place and stored. It's, it's, it's been lessened over the years. I've given some stuff away to nieces and nephews but there's still some things i hold on to so i remember the year that i got an electric carving knife for christmas <laughs> i just realized that's it we're, we're done it's all were you 12 yeah. or were you like, like 35 what age was this? were you carving a lot of turkeys <laughs> i'm kind of concerned at your I had, age <laughs> i had an egon spangler thing there like i straightened the string slinky <laughs> just, just imagine how at like 10 i i know son <laughs> I'm sitting here kind of speechless, to yeah. be honest with you, that most people don't ask for an yes, electronic carving knife. We need context, how? What is it? Oh, I did not, I did not ask for an electric carving was, knife at all. Was, somebody decided he's a man now, he needs it, this. Yeah, my, my parents were exactly. It was like, I, it was the rite of passage. I would now need an electric carving <laughs> knife because one day I was going to get out of the house and start, you know. And they I were, it was, it was a subtle it. hint to push you out I the door. I still have the electric I, carving I, knife. I bought an electric carving knife at, uh, I don't know if I got it in the move when my mom was breaking up the kitchen or if I bought it at a like a yard sale but I tried using it once when I made like a turkey breast and I just made such a mess I'm like I'll just carve it by hand I'll just get the, get the how, how actually ask There's, for an electric razor that's but I, rem <laughs> but I remember my dad using the electric carving knife every holiday 
Absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. I did finally grow too, wasn't he? Yeah. I went to YouTube and I looked up some videos and when it was time for me to like carve the, I now carve the turkey when no matter, you know, if I go to my father-in-law's or whatever, because I watched them like, okay, I understand how to do All this. All right. So well, it, it did end up paying off. That's going to be a panel at uh, presentation at Retro Magic. Will be Hal's just going <laughs> to no, carve no, a turkey we're on how, stage. Yeah, yeah we'll be at we're the getting, carving stage. Yeah. We're getting the carving can, station can, with can, the red right, lights. I can do that. Yeah. I can do, what is the beef when you do the, the carving station? <laughs> yes. With the, uh, the roast. The roast. The roast. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm your guy. We're getting you the white hat and the coat and everything. Perfect. Why are the lights red? Is there a reason? It's the, the, they're warming lights. It's supposed to make the meat Christmassy, and it also makes the meat look more appealing. Yes. Imagine that say, under like a blue light, like I don't or a green eat. light. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> the meat would just look gross. Yeah. So it's, it's warm. So we, you know, again, we're all talking about Christmases. We remember holiday traditions. And when we talked about doing this episode, I said I really wanted to focus initially on the lights of winter. Uh, and earlier tonight, we had put the call out uh, on social media that we were going to be doing this episode, and we have multiple responses of people saying, uh, please talk about the lights of winter. Um, so we are going to talk about the lights of winter. And if you don't know what the lights of winter were, well, we're going to fill in those blanks for you. Uh, I have two segments I want to read from, but... The big story here is the lights of winter were part of a huge transition of there was that three, really 2.5 year period where Epcot Center transitioned to Epcot 94, Epcot 95, and briefly referred to as Epcot 96 before they dropped it for the capital E PCOT uh, with no year attached to it that it has been since. Um, and the idea was every year they were going to renew it with lots of new attractions and offerings. Uh, 1994 is a big year and there's a, there's a lot written about it out there and, and research available, um, because Epcot went through a giant holiday transition that year. It was the year that the candlelight processional, which had been performed on main street from the train station at magic kingdom, uh, pulled up stakes and moved over to the America Gardens Theater in Epcot Center, uh, which could host them more often. Uh, wouldn't bring the Magic Kingdom to a stop when it was done, or when it was presented, rather. And uh, crowds could continue to flow around World Showcase while it was while it was being presented, and they could, have, as you all know now, they offer it multiple times nightly, and there's dining packages and. Uh, it was in still in its Epcot infancy back then, uh, but that was being moved over there. So at the same time, there was a whole effort. I'm not going to say the holidays at Epcot were muted, uh, but they were not as prevalent as they would as they were at Magic Kingdom for sure. Because you walked into Magic Kingdom, and from you know the approach to the turnstiles out front until you got out of the hub it was like christmas central one of my critiques of disney back then was once you got out of the hub and into the lands it was like christmas didn't exist except for the country bear christmas jamboree uh that, that great show which we got a few emails to talk about and we'll we will mention tonight I and mean, we have talked about it before but it's was just it's a crime that it's not still there so anyway Let's talk about first the lights of winter. 
I am going to, rather than attempt to describe it all myself, give you two passages. One I'll say is coming from the Bible. The Bible is this gigantic book that I showed to the boys earlier tonight. And how's like, when did they publish this? It weighs about 35 pounds. It's called Holiday Magic at the Disney Parks, and it was published in 2020. Uh, it is a coffee table size reference book that is about 75, 80% photos with some context added to it. So it's not quite encyclopedic, but it is comprehensive in that it starts all the way back with Disneyland in 1955 and covers the resorts and the you know, different shopping areas and if if it happened during the holidays, it's likely in here. There's probably not as much detail as you'd want for our purposes. Uh, but I recommend you looking this up either on Amazon or Disney or uh, probably there are copies out there. Uh, but it does weigh about 15 pounds. I mean, this thing is gigantic. Uh, but I'm going to read to you briefly the segment in here uh, from its encyclopedic uh, mention of the Lights of Winter. And it says, no discussion of holiday decorations at Epcot would be complete with, this is on page 178 for those of you following at home, would be complete without mentioning the lights of winter. Inspired by the Italian tradition of luminary and first seen in Disneyland Paris from 1993 to 2004, this arcade of twinkling archways stretched the length of the walkway between Future World and World Showcase for the holiday seasons from 1994 through 2008. Gracing the skyline as elegant and intricately sculpted sculptures by day, the arches came alive each evening, thanks to the placement of 30,000 colorful lights dancing to a soundtrack of holiday music, mostly contemporary arrangements of classic holiday melodies. Think um, uh, Mannheim steamroller type stuff. They were a simple yet engaging spectacle that regularly drew a crowd, people happy to sit on a planter and be surrounded by the magic that enveloped them. Every so often a monorail train would glide between the arches, though it was hardly a distraction. Nearby, the Innoventions Fountain Show was synchronized to the same music. Now, that's only part of this. That's the segment of it in the holiday uh, magic at Walt Disney World book, or, or at the Disney Parks. Uh of course, we don't stop there. So I'm going to now uh, pull from the Morristown, New Jersey Daily Record. It was an Associated Press story done uh, when they were promoting the, uh, the holidays, all of the new holiday offerings in 1994 at the Disney Parks. And there was a whole article written about the uh, lights of winter. And I won't read the entire uh, article, but I do want to mention that one thing left out of this book is that they also incorporated a new 65-foot Christmas tree in World Showcase Plaza uh, with the with the light show uh, with the t with the lights of winter. So what would happen is the arches, much like the Osborne family uh, spectacle of lights, which if you recall in the first few years were static and had the carousel that went around and a few other things that had some motion to them, physical motion. But at a certain point, they then became the Osborne spectacle of dancing lights at Disney MGM Studios. And it, that's when that 
whole thing of and you know the lights moving to the music started <laughs> that now Yanni. yeah that now your neighbor buys at uh, Home Depot and puts on the front of his house and stops traffic in front of your house, of, you know, broadcasting music and synchronized <laughs> lights and everything every night. Uh, but, you know, back then it actually started at Epcot that first year in 1994 when they offered the the, the lights of winter. Uh, but like everything else at Epcot, it was a little more low key, uh, not as not as overwhelming. Uh, so the article here from 1994 in the paper that, that Disney put out to promote the thing said that uh, it included a merry and bright, dazzling new light bridge connecting Future World and World Showcase. Of course, new nighttime fireworks, music, a light and laser show, two weeks of a candlelit ceremony that includes the Christmas tree. Can you imagine if the uh, the <laughs> the candlelight processional was only two weeks now? I mean, they, they start offering it like the day after Halloween now, don't they? It's not enough. Yeah. We demand more. <laughs> so uh, it says the lights will be brightest at Showcase Plaza, where a towering 65-foot Christmas tree will greet guests entering World Showcase with messages of peace and goodwill translated in 40 languages. And that's still there. They have that tree that has all those little ribbons on it with the greetings in the different languages. The tree will be lit every night during a tree lighting ceremony. I don't know if they still have the tree lighting ceremony. I haven't been there in a while uh, to, to seek it out. So there are people listening that I'm sure could tell us, but it used to be every night there, at least this first year that it premiered, there were representatives from the countries that, uh, you know, they would have those storytellers in each of the countries that would tell, you know, stories of Christmas in, in Norway and Christmas in Mexico uh, so they would have representatives there. They'd have characters uh, dressed in holiday garb from the countries. Uh, and they would do a whole like trumpeters and everything else coming with the Voices of Liberty choir. And they would do a tree lighting every night. And they would light the tree, which would then light the bridge, uh, the lights of winter. And, uh, you know, that would start and run continuously throughout the evening. There were 30,000 lights that ran across these trellises that, that, uh, stood over the, the walkway from, you know, Future World to World Showcase. They're almost like lace. They were. And so their yeah. their basis, it was mentioned in the other book, uh, they wanted to bring a European tradition to Epcot. Uh, so there's a gentleman named Jim Heffelfinger, uh, who I did reach out to, actually, and I haven't heard back from him. So in the off chance that we end up having a chance to talk to him, we might be able to tack that on as a mini episode or drop it into this one if we hear from him before we edit it. Uh, but Jim Heffelfinger worked for Disney for a while. Uh, he's worked for a lot of other uh, entertainment companies uh, based in Florida and consulting on places like SeaWorld and other places down there as well. Uh, but he was in charge of this project, and he said, just like our Christmas parades in America, many European countries kick off their winter holiday festivals with the lighting of arches that go over their main streets, just like this. And so they took the concept and brought it to Epcot. Now, of course, what we know is uh, that they did it the year before in Disneyland Paris. And if you just search Lights of Winter Disneyland Paris, uh, the first page that should come up, uh, which I think is called Photo Magic, uh, has a series of pictures of the Lights of Winter at Disneyland Paris, which are almost identical to Epcot's. Uh, so I'm sure these things were purchased like Disney didn't design these things. They were probably purchased from a firm 
in Europe that specializes in providing these to, to towns and villages that want, want to put these, these arches up. Uh, be beautiful. I mean, I think all of you would agree when you saw them lit at night and the shows, they, they were just stunning. Uh, yeah, it I, was I, one of the most, I mean, I, I am so, uh, careful about throwing around the word magical because I hate how it's overused, but it is, it felt like it really was one of the most magical things I've ever seen. It was just absolutely gorgeous. And for something as just as simple mm. as music and lights that would change you know change it was gorgeous and, just and just beautiful experience to just sit and, and watch it. and disney really enhanced it because that planter in the in the front that leads to that bridge uh which would occasionally become a cranberry bog during the uh food oh, yeah. and wine festival uh but <laughs> often has a topiary in it or something they filled it with and this was their own enhancement these uh, white light, lit daffodil type looking things that that uh, were just I mean, the whole thing was a, take a look a at bird yeah I just, I, or something yeah there? I just shared gentlemen a number of photos that my grandparents took so if you look in our our, yeah. our episode channel there's a handful there for you to take and and at. so there was all of this going on but one of the things you'll see in Todd's photos and one of the theories why they were eventually retired, and I'll talk about that it's, in a bit. I know exactly where you're well, going. Well, they don't this. look very good in the daytime. In the daytime, it, it's this, you know, it looks like an under construction, uh, you know, piece of lattice framework. Sure, sure. Uh, that kind of ruins your view coming in, coming into Russia. But I'll tell you, it was worse in Paris because in Paris, they were literally, the way they used to string the garland across main street in in walt disney world for the first 40 years they constructed it literally across main street in in paris main street usa so you, huh. so you would walk through underneath the hotel there to get yourself into the town square come around the town square and you could not see uh the the castle in paris you just saw this white unlit lattice work during the day until it got dark at night um and, you know, and it lasted for 15 years, whatever it was, 10 to 12, 11 years over there, 12 years, something like that. But, uh, you know, do, it's, do we think it's also due to the the clogging? Like, it looks like in this, these photos, my okay. like everybody just stopped and looked. So, so right? here was the theories that what, what happened was, you know, Disney ran it 94 to 2008. In 2009, they just shocked everybody by when they released like their holiday stuff. They said, oh, by the way, Lights of Winter isn't coming back this year. We're retiring it because it's outdated and the technology's old and we just don't think that it, you know, it, it, it's, it's served its use and, and we're not going to have it anymore. So, you know, they just kind of said that was it. And there's no, no real, um, you know, warning for people like this is the last season or anything. But those were the two reasons, uh, Todd. The, the speculation is one was it didn't look very good during the day. And the second is it had gotten to a point where people would go and stop mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, it would, it would bring, it would bottleneck that entire walkway. So, you know, you had to either take the right over towards Canada or walk by the Odyssey walkway over towards Mexico uh, when these things were running. That's not much better. <laughs> you know, because everybody would stop. But part of it was that, it also looked good from the side. So if you were on the side watching it, we have these beautiful reflections from the bodies of water on either side of the bridge. 
So you're right. Those auxiliary walkways, people would station themselves there to watch them from a difference with a different angle. Because there was a whole like do 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 do. Oh, so there was like a show. There was a whole show. You can search them on YouTube. We'll probably link to a few in there. You know, in fact, there's at least one video on of ours that has it that Todd has posted. I know, I know this out there because I was looking today at the different kind of versions. And I know there's. And did it affect? Go ahead. Did it affect the monorail track at all, or did it? No. Did it, it didn't. The, the monorail didn't go through an arch or anything, did it? It just kind of went. Uh, bet- it went in between, between them. them. Between them, you can yeah, you can okay, see in the I photo, see. it's kind of in between it. Um, yeah, they didn't like arch over. Right. Like you didn't <clears throat> drive through a. <laughs> so a okay. p- one of the other things that I have in my notes, uh, it's speculation, but you know, it was a very gentle attraction when it opened befitting you know kind of epcot's low-key world showcase approach when it premiered in 94 because remember what epcot would do is there wasn't a lot of holiday stuff in the front of the park uh they would cover over the fountains of of the nations the fountain of nations and turn that into a holiday stage there'd usually be a poinsettia tree and and a lot of like kind of decorations around the base and there would be holiday performances there you know the gospel groups and different Christmas music being performed there. In fact, we got a message today from uh, David Carver tonight on, on, on Twitter saying, I hope you talk about what was the name of the bell? Uh, <laughs> what do we call it? I was, a, we're going to scroll up in our conversation because he said it to me and I made a note of it. And I, um, the, uh, the cast in bronze, this, this bell performance that is done now at Disney Springs uh, was originally done in Epcot, and they would perform it on the stage uh, that was at that was over that was placed over the Fountain of Nations, and then after the holidays they'd take the stage down and the fountain would go back on. Uh, but there wasn't a lot in Future World in terms of holiday stuff, so like World Showcase was where they did it, and it still tended to just be kind of decorating the buildings in the in the and changing the soundtracks in the in the different countries, uh, but it wasn't anything like Magic Kingdom or what has now become the gold standard for the holidays, which is Disney's Hollywood studios is just fantastic. Uh, I mean, none, none of the parks even touch it as in my opinion, in, in terms of how, yeah, I happened to pull an entertainment guide from 1992. I want to hear it. So this 1992. Pr- prior to the lights of winter. So I, ha- I have the one from December 22nd to December 28th. So I was there right in the prime time of Christmas. Okay. You were there Christmas week. And, okay. And, and, Yep. So, so here's all of the things that you would find all around the countries of the world that were Christmas themed. Uh, nothing. It was all of the regular shows that you would partake of uh, during during the year. It was the same pearly dancers and uh, you know same belly dancers at Restaurant Marrakesh and the theater Theater de Bologna, with with a couple of exceptions. And so. Um, Carol Lawrence was featured with the World Dancers and the Holiday Splendor Orchestra. Uh, two performances on Sunday and uh, three performances Monday, when at Monday, and then Wednesday through Saturday. And they did do the Christmas tree lighting ceremony, uh, and they did a, a Walt Disney character show with Mickey, Roger, and the gang called "From All of Us to All of You" two times a day at the World Showcase Plaza. But that was it. There was yeah. no big Christmas it, thing to speak of. Christmas at all. was Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom and in the village where they 
used it to, you know, with the live nativity and everything else to prop up the merchandise stores down there. And of course that went through its giant transition at the same time to become um, the downtown Disney. And yeah, now I'm sure like the brass band probably played a couple of sure. Christmas songs along with their regular repertoire, sure. but um, and the voices of Liberty and all deal. that, yeah, absolutely, sure, yeah. Uh, so but that was this was their big holiday coming out. So, my my other theory is that you know, you go, go to 94, Epcot is this by some accounts struggling park for its identity and didn't draw the crowds that some of the, 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 the other places did. And they were always trying to do things to bring more people to Epcot because they have so much real estate to fill there by 2008. I mean, Epcot has turned into party central with new year's Eve raves going on in every country and the drinking around the world thing had started. And this was a little early for the Instagram generation, uh, but the like perfect family photo, you know, Facebook, all of that was kind of coming into its own in 2008 and photo sessions in the parks and just things that were not a thing in the 90s that with digital photography, when you could take 400 pictures to get the right one, uh, all of which emerged in the 2000s, uh, did become a thing. And so this kind of crowd bottleneck stopping attraction and everybody trying to get their pictures under the lights and the different colors and things. Yeah, I can absolutely see where they say, well, well this is becoming a problem. <laughs> The one thing I know is not the case is them saying that, well, it's outdated technology. That's why we had to do away with it. Because, as you know, by that point, and certainly in the years since, uh, I think the Osbournes had gone all LED by then. But, you know, LED lights for replacing, you know, what were traditional Christmas lights, because uh, this was an incandescent uh, attraction, Uh you know, had become commonplace then. And by the time they brought out the castle dream lights, which I think were already up by this point, 2008, 2009, um, they had gotten very good at that, you know, where the framework was not particularly visible during the day. I mean, that's to me, that's Mm. one of those fascinating things about the dream lights is if you're not looking for them, the castle still looks like the castle, unless you're up close staring at the, 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 the netting that's over it. Uh, to create those lights. So, I mean, they could do another Lights of Winter using an updated framework and updated lighting techniques that would not uh, ruin the view during the day. I mean, they could do something all over Epcot. I mean, you know, it's like like they do at a zoo even, you know, uh, like like in the trees well, and all well, that, everything. Right. I mean, we were just at the zoo. It's funny you mentioned the zoo. We were just at the zoo tonight. We must have passed under three or four different uh, just trellises of lights uh that were canopies and i mean you you couldn't in one concept you could cover all of the world showcase walkway with that you know just 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 overhead the entire way uh with these arches of lights uh if they wanted to but they don't want to it's just yeah it's it's down to what what's going to make the money and what's going to i mean you've heard for years where the osborne lights going to go next and there was little rumors there were, oh so they were going to bring them down to disney springs and they were yeah the, the osborne lights were going to come up somewhere else and the, and the reality of it is listen we've all been there it is packed to the gills they don't need to do a thing and mm-hmm. people are still going to come 
So and, and on top and top of two, the Osborne lights. I mean, that almost like you, if you went and saw that, and then you walked over and saw the old lights of winter or something similar, it almost would be like a you know a mental downgrade. You're like, well, this isn't. There, there's part of that. The other thing I'll say about the Osborne lights, which uh, like everybody else, I love. There are so many. I mean, you just mentioned the zoo. We went to. A local zoo tonight, but I've done the Philadelphia Zoo. There are parks. Yeah, there everywhere. are parks in Philadelphia now. There are a lot of places you can get the the botanical gardens. I went to not far from you. How uh, in uh, I don't remember what city there, but there it's above Clearwater. I want to say uh, okay. the Florida Botanical Gardens. I went to and so oh, yeah. yeah, I just I didn't know they have a wind. I was actually looking to go into yeah, that because, because they have a huge display. I there. went the first year they didn't have the Osborne lights, and I remember tweeting and telling people, "Listen, if you miss the Osborne lights, come here." But there's a lot of people on on Twitter and Instagram sharing these, you know, coordinated synchronized light experiences in these com- in these community spaces now. That I don't know that the, I mean Osborne lights was great, but. Uh, when it started, it was unique. And now I don't think it's so unique. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that you can experience a lot of other places. Uh, That's true. It, it's the it's gotten so in it more inexpensive, you know, over the course of and time. It's and- become a worthwhile investment for, I mean, who wants to go to the zoo when it's 25 degrees out? Not a lot of us, <laughs> but we were all out there tonight. You know, thank God they had hot chocolate with Bailey's in it that you could buy. But uh, <laughs> we were all out there and I freezing ourselves, walking through to look at the lights. And, the, you know, it was great. I, I do want to add one. Uh, before we move on to other attractions, I want to add one uh, coda here to the at Lights of Winter. Uh, they did not leave Epcot uh, after they were taken down in 2008. Uh, the trellis and the lights sat thermal wrapped backstage for more than five years. Uh, they wow. were seen by marathon runners on the Epcot route when when the routes when the Walt Disney Marathon would take you backstage at Epcot. Uh, except most people didn't know what they were looking at uh, because it was just this giant stuff wrapped in blue. They were finally removed somewhere between 2014 2015. Todd could probably give us the exact time frame by by looking at this guy. Except you want me? I don't remember which country they <laughs> were behind. Aerial photos. I did I did <laughs> drop an aerial photo in the in the chat last night so that we can include it in our in our. Uh, so if you scroll up, you'll see it. But uh, they were there for years. Uh, they sat backstage and then they finally removed them after five or six years. They probably went to the scrapyard. So uh, maybe that's what made the Magic Kingdom. Uh... Parking the what toll plaza the toll, toll yeah, plaza they were oh, that's right they built it they were refashioned the toll plaza the Magic Kingdom I re- I remember one year like thinking oh I got to figure out where these things are controlled by and I finally started like tracing the wires and finally <laughs> you saw how. Get out yeah, of all the wires <laughs> wait a you second so you, tra- you started a trellis you traced the lights of winter's wires. Yeah, and then like Kramer, yeah, why not? I found this rope yeah, and I just keep pulling it. There's these guys, these lobsters. Three, three lobsters. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Did you? Where did you follow to walk us so down this path? It finally took. It they they all ended up terminating in this like large green box, maybe five feet by five feet, and maybe you know five or six foot feet tall, just. A plain green box, which, which had been weatherized, and that's where the control system and probably the audio and all that stuff was was in there. 
And, you know, there was a bunch of power stuff attached to it, but it was neat to go like, oh, okay, there's where the brains of it. And it was like five or ten feet off the path, like once you uh, got up to, I think, where it split out into like World Showcase. So it was funny. <laughs> like there's probably a very simple computer, you know, attached to it by, by today's Todd's old Commodore 64 from Christmas 1985. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what? Yeah, what's in it? It's even funnier. That's the that's the the way of Epcot, isn't it? It was like a whole box and a whole thing, and now you can go buy it at Lowe's for twenty dollars yeah. and do right, that in your front right. yard. There was always this rumor that the first version of Illuminations was run off of an Apple II computer. I don't know if that was. I remember vaguely seeing some show about I, I, that. That seems that is seriously underpowered. No, that's that's accurate. Uh, there, really? Yeah, that was a uh, that was a. There are posts about that from somebody who was there at the time and. Uh, that the wow. original, yeah, the original. Ver- now you're talking. I mean, it might have been the pre. You know, it would have been late, late nine. You know, mid nineties, like right, like. Um, yeah, or the for probably the first versions. Yeah. You know, what, the, what did it have to control? It would have controlled the time. Well, the laser the, lights because they yeah. lit up the countries and shot things around. I, I mean, just as an aside here, that ninety four is also in addition to the tree and the lights of winter and. A bunch of other stuff. That was the first year that Illuminations got its holiday tag, got the official, the mm. actual holiday mm. tag, so that it would run where it, "Let There Be Peace on Earth" would be the, you know, the, the, uh, the five-minute additional uh, holiday tag premiered with the lights of winter and everything else that they added to Epcot in 1994 and the candlelight oh, processional. Yeah. So I have this book. I think it's from 19. 19- I think it's 96. Okay. It says they have the world's largest display of poinsettias at Epcot as well. So there's something you can enjoy. Well, well there's a there's a there's a picture from my grandmother too. The whole front in front of where the fountain was was all poinsettias. All poinsettias there. All yeah, poinsettias beautiful. around the uh stage at uh that was over Fountain of Nations. I mean that was entirely surrounded by it. And then in the countries, a lot of those beds that they fill in um you know, during flower and garden and some of that, but there they were heavy poinsettia all around. Um, you know, world showcase and in the flower gardens and you know. it's it's interesting to me then too, we're talking about this lights and the control and all that, and they were able to make that happen in that era with all that technical you know, complicatedness in a computer and we can do it so easily at our home now. What 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 are they doing now that's bl- I mean, you think about what they put into that to make that happen then. I mean they should be able to make the the you know spaceship Earth levitate at this point. No, they went we're... to they started to use the Apple Lisa. It's it's, it's working. Just <laughs> well, we're still we're still. I mean, on I the think Lisa. part yeah. of it back then, and, and you know, a little bit of digging, uh, we could probably determine, especially if I'm talking to this guy, uh, we can probably determine where they bought this from because it was it's, it's an off the shelf thing that they bought. Uh, now they may have built the synchronization module uh, for the music. Uh, that could have been something they did. But, you know, back then they used to do a lot of that. And now it's yeah. all like, it's mostly off the shelf stuff now. Like it's... I mean, I'll, I'll say 20 bucks. The reason they couldn't do it is because the company that built it went out of business. Probably. So there was nobody to service it anymore. Right, right. And that's a good point. when I say off the shelf, that's not meant to be derisive. I mean, Bob Gurr has told us how many times, you know, you build 
when he built custom built things for Disney, he, he built them with readily available parts, not yeah, stuff that had to be fabricated. Off, you know, yeah, twenty look, look, off the shelf and put it together and I make mean, something. There's unique. this belief that Disney out there has like these forges in, in Norway, and they're just like forming <laughs> giant all these factories custom parts. where everything yeah. that's there is custom built. And, I hate you know, to tell you, you know, we'll I, take I the Egyptian wanna... male animatronic over there. We need three of them, you know, like it's... we need three of those. You're never going to sell another one in your yeah. life, but I'm glad D- you have DC them. DC six was actually making light strings. Yeah. That's what the <laughs> well, Tom Nebby, he just sat there and he, he well, hand, hand wove. Them. I'll bet you though. He'll tell us, you know, their rule was 10% overage on everything there. So he probably had a couple of spare trellises just in case they needed them. I wouldn't have spools right, yeah. right there in the warehouse. He might have them in his house in his basement today. Somebody bought them from, uh, you know, property control when they shut it down. And I'm sure it's yeah. like over some, it's in John Stamos's backyard now or something. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, Brian, I just, I have, a, I pulled a couple of brochures from, from back in the day uh, that has some pricing for packages. So these, you know, obviously these, these packages today are huge where you can, you know, go get dinner and, and then see, you know, the, the candlelight processional and you have special seating and they you know they're like vap packages so they they started doing that as early as like 96 and so uh here's here's a sample of of uh, some pricing for the for the candlelight processional dinner package back then so it ran from november 26 to december 24th so it was one month okay by this point they had ex- they had expanded it because when i look back at the some of the earlier things it's like a week. It's like Christmas well, week. They, they, they used to do it just once. It. Like back when, like yeah. back when uh, Rock Hudson and them came, it was like a single performance, and that was it. They did the candlelight procession yeah. one night a season, and that they was were it. done. But but it's so funny. You're saying this is '96. If you recall, the article in '94 it was only two weeks. It was two weeks of the candlelight processional they were right. doing when they moved. There you go. When they moved it over to Epcot. Now it's up to four, and just two years later. So I think I think this is this could be. I'm trying to figure out if this is '96 or '98, but. Here you go. So if you want to do the dinner package, it's going to set you back $35.95 for adults and $8.95 for children. That includes dinner. dinner. So that's dinner at a select Epcot table service restaurant featuring a special holiday menu plus plus reserved VIP seating and a 20% discount at Epcot shops on the day of your visit with free preferred parking. Is that your only commentary on the Epcot Candlelight VIP? Because I, I have a thing to say about it. Well, also, now that's now that's if you have admission. Okay. If you don't have admission, <laughs> if you need to buy admission with it, that'll run you, um, including admission, that'll run you $51.95. So that, so like that would be an after four admission or like an all day admission? That's an, an after, after, that's four, an admission. after four admission. Okay, admission. I get yep. it. I, yeah, and twenty four ninety five plus tax with children. I, so. I will make a confession that may put me on some people's naughty list for, for this Christmas because I know there's a lot oh. of people who love candlelight. And I, and I think candlelight is beautiful. I did the package once. I did the package... Uh, I had my 10 or tw- I don't know if he was 10 or 12 at the time, but I had my nephew with him and he had been such a good kid all day. And we had, you know, waited for boring attractions. He wanted to go on a roller coaster. We never got to go. We were at Epcot. I think we didn't get to go on test track. A- like we've been doing things. And then we had this candlelight dinner package and then we sat down. Like all of a sudden the the dinner package, like you feel like 
oh, you bought this package, you just walk up at, you know, 10 to 7 if it's a 7 o'clock thing. And they oh, well, seat's reserved. All right, you just walk it. No, 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 no. Your dinner's at like 5, and then you're in this line. People start a line for the people that had the VIP package, and you were in line for like an hour to to be sure that you were in that you weren't sitting in the very back anyway of the reserve section. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> so, so I remember the one time that I paid for the VIP package. We got in the line, and then I turned to uh, my friends that were with me. I had my nephew. I said, "Listen." I'm going to jump out of line. I'm taking this kid on some rides. Like he's been a good kid all day. He has not gotten to ride anything during a period of time that I left the line and they watched candlelight. I was on test track. We were on, I don't know. We went on like five <laughs> things, you know, we soaring and all this, you know, like this is all this stuff that we got to do because like all the attention had come back to world showcase. So we just kind of ran through future world going on all these attractions that we just hadn't done that day because we, I just, I think we had a sit down lunch when we got there and we did like one thing that we waited a long time for. And then we ended up at the dinner and then in the line for candlelight. I'm like, all right, I, I gotta, you know, just what every young boy. Yeah. Wants like he was so, it was being so patient. I'm like, I, I gotta get this kid on some rides. Like I, you know, this is not fair to then make him sit through the school pageant of, you know, the nativity here. So you uh, didn't ever see candlelight? No, I've seen candlelight. I mean, oh, I've, okay, I've, okay. I've been, you know, I've been there. I I'm just sit like a schlub in the audience, you know. I don't buy the dinner package, but, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's just for me that particular night, I was like, I can't believe I paid for this like VIP package. And it's not like, oh, well, you're in these, like you're in the front 20 rows or something. All of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, well, if you Come don't wait in this line for the next hour until we start letting you in, like a VIP, let me in right away. Let me just at least sit on the bench for the next hour. Yeah, yeah, and if I want to go leave and come back, you <laughs> like, should save my yeah, seat, Yeah, like, buddy. you know, I've been, no, no, it's just a different line to wait in. So that, that's, my, <laughs> that's my candlelight story. Beautiful and majestic as it is. Uh, that night we skipped it, uh, or uh, Joseph and I skipped it to go ride a bunch of stuff. How any other packages in the hotels or anything else? I uh, let's see. So from 1992, so before the big hullabaloo happened, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to get a hotel stay, uh, and and the the Jolly Holiday was available then. So that that show that was in the Contemporary, like that was available in 1992. I. Um, if you want, I've seen it, so I have something to say on that. But go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, oh, it says a, a resort hotels cater to your happiest holiday fantasies. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that nice? <laughs> I'm a, a resort hotel catering to my happiest holiday fantasies. Well, it depends on the age bracket what your holiday fantasy is. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just picturing that scene where Clark Griswold is looking out the window at the pool. In National Lampoon's <laughs> Christmas. That's right. <laughs> what he was hoping for for Christmas was different than what Bobby Sue was waiting for. Yeah. Uh, so here's here's Ruby your Sue. options. To, here's where you can <laughs> Sorry stay. Sorry about that. You got the, the, you got the Grand Sue. Floridian, yes. which is recreating an old-fashioned turn-of-the-century Christmas. Disney's Yacht and Beach Club Resorts, which is a holiday on the New England coast. Disney's Contemporary Resort, which is Christmas in the Southwest, so they must have still been leaning into the Grand Canyon Concourse. Well, that was that the year point. they had that um, Southwest-themed Christmas oh, right, tree balloon, the balloon hanging stuff. from yeah. the Grand Canyon Concourse. That was when right, they were still right. doing the Southwest thing. 
the Disney Inn, which was a holiday at a charming country inn. Right. And then uh, the Disney's Port Orleans Resort, of course, was kitchen was Christmas with a Cajun flavor. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, um, so here, your two-night packages. Uh, a two-night package would range from $139 to $209, depending on where you were staying. A three-night package would run you 179 to 289 And if you were the baller and got the four-night package, that would cost you $369 to $519. And you, with this package, you would get festive accommodations. Now, I don't know what they did to make the accommodations any more festive <laughs> than normal, but uh, admission to the Jolly Holidays dinner show, a holiday reception at each resort featuring live entertainment and refreshments, uh, and of course, free transportation throughout the Walt Disney World Resort. Oh, it also included on four. If you did the four night for three three sixty nine to five nineteen, not only did you get you know the holiday, the festive accommodations, the holiday jolly holidays dinner show, the holiday receptions at resort, uh, and the free transportation, but you also got unlimited admission to all four parks on the four days that you were there. Wow. Right, that's a nice package. What year What year yeah. was this? Oh, and Pleasure Island. Wow. Um, that That was 1992. Yeah. Oh my so goodness. holy cow, what a deal. That's the equivalent of 800 bucks now yeah. for four nights and park admission. Yeah, there was there were still good packages then. It, it really... I mean, I feel like it didn't explode. Am I right until the 2000s? Like, you, you know, through most I of feel. the 90s, you could still get a... A very good package, especially in the off-seasons when they still had off-seasons. And now the off-season is literally when Florida kids go back to school until, like, the week after Labor Day. <laughs> you have, like, a two- or three-week period where it's 140 every day, but the parks are lightly crowded. And that's it. The rest of the year, it's, you know, Black Friday shopping at Walmart at 5 a.m. <laughs> Oh, did you have something to share, Brian, about Jolly, Jolly Holiday? Yes, since I know. <clears throat> I know. In prior podcast, holiday podcast, I mentioned this, but as I said, we'll revisit it. I saw Jolly Holidays the last year that it was offered, which I believe was 1995. Uh, we went to the dinner show, and uh, you know, I reflect on it from time to time. I remember enjoying myself. But it was in the Contemporaries Convention Center at that point. Uh, there was a large stage uh, that, you know, they come out and it was about an hour long. But if you can imagine uh, any of the older um, Christmas specials that you see rebroadcast or catch on YouTube from Danny Kay or Bing Crosby or Judy Garland... It was very much in that vein. If you've ever seen the Rockette show at Radio City Music Radio City Musical, very similar in terms of it was a variety show, uh, stage presentation. But this, and I don't know how many years it had this, but it there was an ice skating uh, platform in front of the stage, so portions of the show included uh, both ice skaters and I believe characters on skates coming out into a fairly small. Uh, sized rink around which all the dinner tables, the banquet round banquet tables were set. So what I remember about it is, uh, you know, we, we went to the dinner, we were kind of dressed up for it, but you go into the ballroom and you're seated at a banquet table. There were two of us, me and my friend Rob, 
uh, and we were seated with eight other or ten other people, uh, you know, like cruise ship style, where you're, you know, <laughs> you're just seated. Hello. You're just seated <laughs> with other people. It's, hello, I guess we're having dinner together. Um, which was I'm in the Aloha deck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so that I remember being a little like it was not an an experience I'd had a lot in life. So that was weird to, you know, be it was a, you know when you go to a wedding and you're. You're just like the friend from out of town and you don't know anyone in the family. How do you know the group? Yeah, so, so you're like seated with eight people you need to make small talk with or normally in those situations you don't make small talk with. You all just kind of whisper to each other and eat your roll and salad and dinner came out. I don't even remember if we had a choice uh, of, of what to eat, but you know, dinner was a plated dinner that was served and then the, you know, the show was on while all this was going on and your ice cream parfait or whatever would come out at the end while, while they, and, and, you know, and they're singing, it's a jolly holiday with Mickey. And yeah, I mean, there are videos of it online. If you want to see what the show is, my my grandparents loved it. They went there multiple. And, and, and and so the, something I said before we went on the air tonight was I now looking back on it. uh, And I probably at the time, but not as much. I mean, I thought it was, you know, that was fun. I recognize now by 1995 how date I think which I think the year I saw it uh, which was just last year was how dated it was you know yeah. how for the audience if like if you were bringing kids I mean they're sitting there watching what is going on like this is because it is it's like straight out of you know 1968 you expect to see Bob Hope coming out entertaining the troops with this show like it's yeah yeah Yep. It's uh, it was just very very dated, and I understand why they retired it. Uh, I mean, also- but what's funny is it was it was dated for its time too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, uh, but again, I think it catered. Uh, look, look, from my family who went down and saw it. It was my grandparents. My my parents had no interest. It wasn't their wasn't stuff they grew up with in light. You know, but my my grandfather always talked about you know that shows with dancing and Danny Kaye. That said, oh, okay, I think yeah. and. I won't. I won't say an identical offering. I think a modern offering because they do stage shows very well now. You know, you see them in right. front of the castle and in Tomorrowland and at Epcot and uh, over in the studios. I think if they did a modern dinner theater forty-five minute holiday show uh, using up one of those ball hotel ballroom spaces. In, and taking it away from event offerings for the month, you know, where nobody could book it for conventions and stuff. I mean, they could make a mint on people now um, because it would be a way to see it without having to go to the parks. Right. Uh, yeah. Where you could do a Disney night. Uh, uh, I think it would be, you know, they could charge $140 a ticket and people would pay it uh, to go and see this hokey show of Mickey hopping around and ice skaters and, of course, now there'd be projection mapping and things like that that would be part of it. But uh, I'd be exhausted after five minutes. I, but that's it's just me. you know, it's, it's I'm just it's just never been my style. I get it. You know, so. I get it. You know, can't all be Billy Joel, my friend. Yeah, uh, you know, so well we had this. You know, we 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 had this offline discussion about theater and and things recently that we all discussed. Uh, Todd, you've happily and helpfully shared this uh, photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, of them roasting chestnuts. It looks like an outdoor area just outside uh, maybe the back of the Grand Floridian. Is that what I'm looking it at? It was 
Uh, it was the, the, the under the um, under the pork cochere as you as you came. Oh, in. right in the was, front of the hotel right in the front is where they were doing it. Yep. Chestnuts as you walked in, right it's where one of my grandparents. Yeah, you just you just show up, get out of your car, and they hand you some hot nuts, huh? You get the hot nuts. Well, right they sold. You want them. My re- recollection was they sold them to you. I don't know if that was the case. The oh, grandparents. okay. Uh, I know when I did the Osborne lights one night uh, back in the. 2010-ish, maybe around then, uh, they sold them on the streets. They were from the street cart, like, uh, you know, they had roasted popcorn and roasted chestnuts, and, like, I had never had roasted chestnuts, so I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to buy a bag. And I just remembered that it tasted like dirt. And I like, like <laughs> ate like one or two. And I'm like, that's because oh, it was roasted on an open fire. It was, you know? and it was literally roasted on an open fire. But yeah, that was. It is a an offering that has kind of fallen out of favor. In fact, when I was looking for some press mentions in the newspaper archive of Disney resorts or Disney parks offering actual roasted chestnuts during the holidays. Uh, I didn't find any, but what I did find was uh, a column written by someone in the 90s, one of these food columnists who said that, you know, roasted chestnuts had, the chestnut had fallen out of favor <laughs> and uh, they were advocating its resurgence as a oh, as wow. an ingredient and offering that, you know, the reason it dominates the chestnuts roasting on, you know, the, the Christmas song and all is because it was so prevalent uh, and it was a fancy holiday offering back in the day and it is no longer and i can tell you it is no longer because they don't taste particularly good <laughs> so uh, this is uh grand floridian this picture you shared right yeah that's correct sir. so yeah that's that's typical so what what it's the what the, the bible here this giant book i should earlier mentioned is that yes in some hotel lobbies they would roast you know disney roasted chestnuts at the time and of course this man's in victorian garb and you know, you expect a Dickensian, a Dickensian street urchin to come up and beg him for his leftover <laughs> chestnuts at the end of the night or something. <laughs> Please, sir, yes. I need some. I'm so poor. Something for the poor. Arms for the poor, sir. You know. He's like, good afternoon. Oh, so that, that you see, I guess this sort of breaks the, with it being a Florida themed hotel. The roasted chestnuts. Well, still don't really... so the, I know it's supposed you, to be turned to this. So, Todd, is this a, is this dating right? Was it two thousand that this picture was taken? Uh, or... No, that that date code was not working. Okay. I, my understanding is that this was. Um, I have this listed the picture as nineteen ninety four. Yeah, the picture above it is ninety four. So I'll, I'll say this: the yeah. the the book does have a few good pictures of the lobby in the Grand Floridian from 89 and 92. So those early years that it was open, if you remember one of the prior holiday podcasts, we talked about the beautiful poinsettia tree that was there for a good 15 years. Uh, the three uh, the three shaded pink, white, and red poinsettias uh, that towered over the lobby there uh, at the Grand Floridian. The first years it was actually, there were fake candles all around it, and that was it. And then in mm. subsequent years, they added like garland to make it look a little more festive, a little more Christmassy, a little less staid. But those earliest years, they had those 
uh, medieval-looking court jester mannequins and the oh. and the, the horse. It is the scariest stuff you've ever seen. And it's funny because the one picture in the book, I'll have to take a picture of it so we can include it in. The, does have like an aerial shot, and it shows you at one at least at one year instead of being at floor level, where people used to make like take pictures next to it, like just looking at them, like you know, in horror, uh, like comedy <laughs> pictures next to them. Uh, they put them up in a display, almost on like like a like a little drum stage, next to the oh. tree. Uh, so, and the horse was, from what I could see, the horse was gone by that point, and it was just like bravely bold Sir Robin's minstrels kind of. But it, it's just the weirdest thing because, you know, of course, this is set at turn of the century, the end of the Victorian era, the beginning Edwardian era. No one dressed and danced and acted like that. Like, you know, because they're all dressed like the Santa's elves in A Christmas Story. And, right. and you know, they're, they're, that's not supposed to represent reality. I mean, they might have dressed like that in the 1700s, but not by 1900. I mean, no one no right, was running right. around dressed up like that. Like, if, can, can you imagine <clears throat> coming in with your, your, your Mickey bowl of hot chestnuts trying to choke those down? And then you see that scene, you're like, what well, did we just do? Well, I will like, say that I one here? of the big differences back then was in all the pictures you see, even in videos you'll find from people's fa- the lobby wasn't crowded. You know, you had time to kind of amble through and see the display and look at the tree and take a picture. And there were shops that lined it that have, you know, since been either closed or turned into a soap store or a restaurant or so. Um, you know, it was just a lot chiller place to be back then. Um, and that's, you know, one of my ongoing critiques of the Grand Floridian is that you walk in there now and it's like Grand Central Station the day before Thanksgiving, you know, there's just gads of people everywhere all the time. So maybe when they do the redo that they've planned, when they <laughs> refurbish it and make it look like a Hilton, people won't want to go there anymore and it'll, it'll, it'll revert to its former self. There's your bit of current content for the podcast, folks. Do you have any, um, I remember just some like Polynesian sort of plants and stuff in the Polynesian resorts during the holidays. They they would add uh, Christmas colored tropical plants to the central display at the pollen. There is a lot of pictures in here. Okay. Uh, but I, what I, I stayed there actually when the lobby was still there with my nephew in maybe 2013. And in addition to all of that, f- uh, you know, tropical or like orchid, uh, um, garland that they would put all over, hmm. they would add a lot of, uh, colorful flowers to the, the central fountain display. I just, uh, there were two pictures that my yeah. grandparents took. I, I added those to And that, so you so. can see there that they're, you know, and then, then yeah. usually it's a few smaller trees that would have like bird of paradise flowers and stuff like that in them for places for you to take pictures. And, and one of Todd's, there's a grand piano that, I mean, and it looks like yeah, they, the, all the borders on the roof up there, the woodwork on yeah, the roof, they, they lined, oh they lined gosh. it all with, with flowers and all, but. Spare no expense, Clark. Well, no expense. you know, the, the those budgets were different back then. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, the, and then, of course, the contemporary, they had, would change all the lights on the exterior to red and green alternating lights. 
had the large red cone tree out front for a while, uh, where the flagpole is, um, on the, on the drive-in and then inside the contemporary for what, 25, 30 years, they had that original tinsel, yes. uh, oh, yeah, yeah. tree. And then they messed around with the balloon and the different, uh, trees that they've, that they're, or displays. And then they had the giant wreath. And then uh, the giant, oh, yeah, yeah, the giant wreath, the Mickey-shaped wreath, was there for years. And I want to say about five, six years ago, they stopped putting that up. And I didn't, I did at the time hear from someone there that it was like it was a, one manager decided, nah, we're not going to do it because it was like ten thousand dollars or whatever to put it up and take it down. And he just decided, <laughs> no, we're not going to do it anymore. <laughs> like, I think the you know. tinsel tree just stored flat. They just set it down, and it all just fell to the floor. Uh, just... You know, you wonder how. I, I, I mean, I wonder if it had like a Russian doll thing where it all yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. so that it was just one loop at the end. But and just tip it up. I, and I can tell the you, wall. there are enough people that listen to our podcast who worked there in maintenance and other things, or their dads did, that they can ask how that tree was stored every year. I feel like um, we should make one of those, huh? I, I There's mean, an ornament but, but, idea. I, I mean, that that would, you know, I don't want to get into costs here on the show, but <laughs> no, it no, couldn't no, be more no, than no, 50 or 60 cents to have them made, you know? Yeah, well, no, we sp- we'll spice it up, you know? I'd rather make our Lights of Winter display that, that you push the button. Oh, and n- it's now you're getting into money. Yeah, I know. I've said all along, I'd love to see a Lights of Winter display, but... Pre-recorded music. Oh, boy. Licensing, <laughs> electronic import fees, shipping batteries. There's all kinds of problems. Oh, yeah. That, that don't even, remember the battery fiasco oh, we got ourselves into? Battery fiasco 2018. Ba- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, battery the, great, the great battery fiasco of 2018. <laughs> it was a time and you didn't know what you could do. Well, who else has anything to offer here? We... I mean, there, there I can were... offer. I've I've only ever been and experienced any of the parks, Brian. Uh, the first time ever to experience them during the holidays was actually with you, my friend. Oh yeah, when we were back down there in November. That was the first and only time I have I have experienced the parks in the holidays. Are, are we al- so, are we allowed to tell how we saw the Christmas parade? <laughs> I sh- we I showed them how to reservations. I showed them how to stay and watch the Christmas parade without a ticket yeah. back when it was still possible to do that. What do they do now? Well, there are a lot more checks. I, Check I, I mean, as a person who has purchased Christmas party tickets, you appreciate that they're a lot more aggressive in trying to make sure that mm. anybody in the park without a ticket for the Christmas party is not staying. But what we they do just bug you, show your wrist wristband. Well, the, the wristband time. is what they look for. And the weird thing was, we had uh, a friend of the podcast and the organization with us that night who was wearing a T-shirt. It was a cold night, so most people had jackets on, so they couldn't see if you had the wristbands on or not, really, because they were obscured by people's jackets. And so we had gone to dinner uh, at Skipper's Canteen, kind of come out. Mm-hmm. Adventureland's kind of an easy place to hide, but I kind of told Todd and, and his wife. And our group, I said, listen, you know, once you get out towards the hub, like there's eyes everywhere, like looking for people like you. So I said, the key is keep your hands in your pockets because it's gold and keep moving. 
And so we eventually found our spot on whichever of the center streets has survived, east or west. I can't remember which one it is. It was the east street. East center street. And mm -hmm. uh, we, I think we ducked into the Arribas Brothers store or something like that. And then uh, just as the parade started to come out, we came out and just kind of found a spot on the on the corner there and watched it go past and then followed it out the door. We didn't we didn't try to experience any other Christmas no, things. No, no, we just... didn't do attractions or anything like that. Yeah, it was all... yeah, but they just and got we... Todd to see a parade. Well, I, it was very nice. You know what? I always tell people the Christmas parade is totally different than anything else you see. I mean, the Christmas yep. parade is worth seeing. Well, the Halloween parade too. The Halloween parade is great. Um, but you know, I'm not as I think we're all not as big a fan of the daytime parade. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but. Well, uh, whatever that last one was that ran was pretty cool. This, the, with this the flaming sort of dragon? One with yeah. The, yeah, so the flaming dragon. I, that was actually kind Wasn't of... Wasn't that nice. Festival of Fantasy, so. I think it was called? Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And I'm not a parade person, but I was like, okay, I can appreciate yeah. this. this I mean, I, I remember seeing the parades on my early trips there. Like, it was like a right of, oh, you stop and watch the parade. And, and we know that that was the major attraction the first 20 years because every eight millimeter film we get is sixty percent parade. <laughs> How about the rainy day cavalcade and the That's rainy day the cavalcade. Rainy day cavalcade. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, let me uh, let me throw in. This is funny. I ran into some some documentation about what they did at Disney Village when it was the, oh, the Disney Village. Oh, so much there. Place. Yeah, the the Buena Vista Village and Disney Village. Yep. Go ahead. So we've we've talked about in previous episodes the. Um, Oh my goodness! What they call it—the uh, spectacle and magic of Christmas. Gosh, I can't believe it's fallen on my head now. I've watched it so many times. <laughs> Where they would do the the, the nativity. And I'll look the, it up in the Bible while you, because I can't remember. Yeah, there you go. I, but and, uh, majesty. I think it's majesty. I think it's the majesty. majesty that's something. at the spectacle and majesty of Christmas, Christmas or something. Um, like but, that. Yeah, but so after that was retired, though, I've got got some things here. Um, so November 23rd to December 31st, they say shopping for the holidays has never been so much fun. The Disney Village Marketplace is wrapped up in a tropical Florida festivities this year. And with so many fabulous stores and restaurants, it may be the only place you need to shop. So you can see Santa's arrival, which said was a fast paced show. Probably meant it lasted five minutes so they could get him in and out of there. Um, they did a tree lighting because uh, they had a giant tree at the village, just like in all the parks, uh, you know, because that would be a, a nice thing to watch. You can meet and greet Santa. There was also a holiday jazz fest. So daily throughout the village said uh, the spirit is upbeat as upbeat as special uh, guest artists uh, perform holiday jazz music continuously at various locations. Um, they also had a holiday boat parade. So you would stand on the shore and they had uh, boats decorated with lights that would drive by in, in the little lagoon there. Uh, so you wow. could see, see that. And then, of course, they would have the holiday grand finale, which was a world premiere sing-along spectacle featuring the entire village entertainment cast culminating in a holiday fireworks display. Whoa, so there were even lot. fireworks, yeah, at, at the village. And, of course, Pleasure Island was open at this time, too. So... <laughs> They said the season explodes. This is only December 17th to 24th. So Pleasure Island, they were not into it quite as much. I'm also going to mention, as I flipped through this book, <clears throat> in 1989, they had an Air Force One, which was the hot air balloon shaped like Mickey's head, with a Santa hat on it. 
Oh, oh yes, cool. they had a they had an ear retrofitted, or they just like, I, it uh, looks like it was custom made. They you know they went all in gosh. on the on the hot air balloons for a while. Nice, but, nice. Uh, so <laughs> so at Pleasure Island, you could you could have a rock and cool Yule uh, Christmas celebration with the hippest holiday happenings this side of the North Pole. Saint Nick and his musical entourage. Bands and DJs will bring the musical holiday sounds of today and yesterday into the clubs and onto the streets. So even at Pleasure Island, if it was New Year's every day, except for when it was New Year's and also Christmas for a brief period of time. Well, and if I recall correctly, midnight at Pleasure Island for New Year's was 11 p.m., right? Not midnight. And then they do the fireworks at. Yeah, it started to be midnight and then they backed it up to, to 11. Because we wanted, it was probably a 10 on some nights home, too, you know, like on a Wednesday. But um, I want to look at a couple of these things before we wrap up of the stuff that people had submitted that maybe we didn't talk about. So let me uh, just take a quick look. Anything that I may have pasted or didn't include. We had uh, some folks. Uh, we already mentioned Cast and Bronze, the uh, the Bell Carillion uh, that was originally in Epcot and is now at Disney Springs. Lights of Winter. Uh, we had a couple folks uh, mention the Country Bear Christmas Show, which mentioned briefly in passing. But for those who don't remember it, uh, it was a seasonal offering where they would convert the whole show, add Christmas lights and decorations to the scenes, dress uh, the redress the characters, and the whole show was changed to uh, to um, Christmas stuff. Uh, you know, Melvin and the folks on the wall had a red uh, reindeer nose and the whole bit. It was a it was a lot of fun. It was a great holiday refresher. And I recall reading one time on Facebook from an ex uh, Imagineer that it was fifty thousand dollars to install the show and fifty thousand dollars to switch it back. So. $100,000 a year and one year some bean counter decided it wasn't worth it. And that is why the show, uh, th there have been endless rumors uh, in the, I'd say what, it's probably been 15 years since it's run. Uh, but there have been endless rumors from time to time that it would return or it would be an exclusive to the Christmas show or so. And uh, it just but doesn't happen. To your earlier point, Brian, the you don't have to get people to the parks. I, you know, I know people don't like to hear us say that. Uh, no, but but, but I mean that that's it, the reality it, of it right now. The the specialty that you had in the in the past uh, that that experience that people were getting was was special, and um, now people will come for any amount and I, any. They don't have to change a thing, and people still show up. They don't have so, to, right? So exactly. They, they, you could know, just throw up six Christmas they, bulbs, and people will go. Ooh, they aim, they aim low, but uh, yeah. most of our most of our responses uh, from folks were along the lines of "Lights of Winter" and "Country Bears." Uh, Lake Buena Vista was mentioned several times. The red and green lights on the Contemporary, the Poinsettia tree, and the Grand Floridian. And uh, one of my favorite responses came from our friend Six Miles Tall on Twitter, who said he misses trees and posted a picture of himself sitting in front of a poinsettia and greenery laden 
where the uh, partner statue now stands in the hub, surrounded by trees in the castle behind him. But it's all, <laughs> you know, decorated for Christmas, the, the, the sure, topiary sure. and everything. Uh, so I, I get that. And a couple of people mentioned holiday wishes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the fireworks show that used to run. Uh, now there is Minnie's Wonderful Christmas Time. And of course, there's a Paul McCartney devotee. People either love or hate that song. I love the song. So uh, that show, I happened to see it when I was at the Christmas party last month. And it opens and closes with uh, Minnie singing Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time, which hmm. Paul wrote one day in August and recorded by himself and his farm in the UK. So hmm. It's become a Christmas So MGM, classic. we talked about how they did the Christmas tree. Yes. But they never really did any... Looking back in my stuff, it's like they never really did any... They're just promoting whatever they had going on. They're like, oh, come see the Christmas tree and the, the Toy Story the, parade. The, the yeah. original... I know I've mentioned this before. The original tree, if you recall, the tree was originally in front of the um, Chinese theater. The tree was decorated with vintage toys and had a vintage train set underneath it. A working vintage train set, which was the Stand original by tree. for incoming photos. Oh, I don't doubt it. And then eventually it was moved because of the stupid hat. It was moved outside the park to where the hat mm. was originally possibly going to be. And where at one point people proposed it should be moved if they were like moving it outside the park but keeping it. Um, oh, there you are. There's the, oh, great displays here, Todd. This is, this is going to be a, there's a like straight off the track Lionel sets. There's the Santa Fe set behind it. Yeah. Some passenger cars, but very much in the vein of, you know, Setting up the, the Hollywood that never was, yeah. but always will be. Um, yeah. Did Animal Kingdom ever do anything? I mean, I know they have a couple of things now. Well, Animal but... Kingdom had the tree. Uh, and they do do some decorations, but like, I really feel like MGM didn't do that full on. I mean, it wasn't until, I don't know when they started doing this. Well, they always had the, the beautiful decorations, the shooting stars and all that. If you remember that they would put on the light poles on right. Hollywood Boulevard, I think Sunday and sunset too. So they would decorate both of them. And then... I mean, I you know, people yell at me for not remembering the years, but they all run together. I mean, somewhere around 2015 is when they just like went all in and started, you know, decorating around Echo Lake and redid all the decorations over the last five, six years in the park and changed uh, to the like the Santa globes and everything that line the light poles now instead of the stars and then started doing the projection mapping show. Uh, the Jingle Jangle Bam or whatever it's called on uh, the Hollywood uh, Tower Hotel. So they do, a, and, and it snows on, on Sunset Boulevard now. And so they kind of expanded it all the way through every bit of the park that isn't Star Wars land and Toy Story exactly. land. They did like specific stuff for Toy Story land, I think. But it's so crowded in there, I would never notice a... A decoration if there was one up <laughs> it's just like i always walk through there just like please don't run over a little kid please don't run over a little kid please don't run over a little kid just let me get through didn't here. we didn't we learn it was very important that you pronounce it jingle bell jingle jam bing, bam. bam yeah 
Bam! It's like, bam. It's like Emerald Lagasse, you know? Yes. I saw that on the Chinese theater. Uh, they do a projection show on the Chinese theater, too. It was Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam, like the first year it came out. Yeah. Was it? I think that was, that that was where the Chinese was the theater first year? one, yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, with Laser Dave. With Laser Dave. And, uh, but, so what do they call the one that's on the Hollywood Tower Hotel now? I don't know. Maybe they moved it since then, but I don't know. I, we saw that that year, and we also saw the uh, at Disney Springs, the drone show. Over the oh, I have you not got seen to the see drone that. Show I did. Springs, I went though. specifically. Well, we went down because it was, you know. Kids didn't care if you went to Disney at that age, and uh, we did all the Christmas stuff. So we like we literally parked hopped everywhere to catch it all that year. And the drone show was—I mean, it was ten minutes. It was done, and we were like, "That's it." But it was still pretty cool. Was it impressive? I mean, it was it was neat in itself. You saw it, and you're like, "Okay, I could see where you could go with this." But then they didn't go anywhere past. I was gonna say, did they just do it that one year? It might have been. Yeah, yeah, that was it. And uh, I mean, it was up there. You, You you just. It was very cool to see, and you're like, okay, I want to see this at Epcot or something else, but it just didn't, right, right. didn't go yeah. any farther. I think it was like an Intel co-sponsorship, or yeah. Something. Oh, was it? Yeah. We stood right by uh, Starbucks in the, uh, the 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 balloon thing right there and watched it. Pretty cool, though. I tell you, the number of uh, sponsorships we just said in that that just that that <laughs> sentence alone. They, they all got their money's worth. <laughs> They did. They all got, well, we, we all those collect shows nothing used from to be them. Presented by somebody, you know. Just keep in mind, like, all these are sponsored by Ricky Bobby Inc. <laughs> yeah, GE always used to sponsor all the illuminations and their holiday things too at Epcot. I mean, there's G's name all over that stuff. And oh, I man. did see too, and we we mentioned it. The uh, uh, Osborne lights on Residential Street. Until we started doing the show, I didn't realize how big of a deal that was to walk Residential Street yeah. and not do a car down there. I thought that was. I remember that and like. 96, I think we might have seen that because we were there in November and saw well, that. I remember when Osborne started originally where you could walk, uh, yeah. it was not one way. There were multiple entrance points and you oh, could really? just wander through until it became this glut of people. And then at a certain point, they switched it to there's one way in line up and you know the cast member will let you onto the street. And then there's one direction you're allowed to walk, and that's it. You know, you're 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 not getting back out this way. You have to exit out over by Lights Motors Actions, uh, Speed Stunt Car, whatever it was called, and uh, and that was it. You entered over near the Muppet Vision, um, and then you had to exit out over at the Speedway, and that was it. Like you did the loop. The, uh, I will say we it was like my wife always says she was there when they shut down Osborne. She saw the last when it was they flipped the lights off. She was and there the for last the last was, night. Yeah, because we happened to be coming for Marathon Weekend. It was there, and then you know they that was it. And I mean I saw it the next day, all just off, you know, yeah. in the day. But she was there that night, and it was like that's it. That's the last time it'll be on because we knew. I think at that point they Star had a, Wars was yeah, coming. Yeah, they had announced that it would be the last year for it and sold a lot of last year merchandise. And Yeah, exactly. But I, I, I was not there because I was missed it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you very much for this, uh, you know, holiday interlude back into the histories and annals of, of Walt Disney World. Much appreciated. And it's interesting. Every year we, we talk about certain things and reminisce, and it's a wonderful time of the year for doing this. And what's neat is it's one of the few times a year where we actually – go over a specific topic over and over. And I've always looked forward to these uh, holiday episodes. Um, 
I know by the time this airs, we'll already have done our, our Christmas party movie night, which is the 1983 Christmas parade. So I, we do owe people next year a little bit of a, a, a rundown of what that was. And we're yes. also happy to say that we've got, because we know, none of us know what to expect. I haven't watched it. In, in I'm watching it I fresh with, with the audience. So oh, Same here. That's what I'm going to do. So, uh, and then I'm happy to say that we are, have plenty of material we have every single parade i don't think we're missing a single one from 1983 up until present day now in our archives uh the four of us will not be talking about the 2016 or the 20 uh 2006 and when we get into the knots and the teens we will never be talking about those we might be done by then well but, uh, they're not parades anymore i mean they're variety that's true. they're more of their variety spectacles occasionally cut to a footage hey, of a parade we're back to variety shows again. We are back to <laughs> variety gone, shows. We've gone full circle. The difference is back in the like when variety shows reigned supreme from the fifties to the to the early eighties, you knew everybody who was on them. Even the, even there was a level of mild fame. I now watch these Disney. Oh things. yeah. <laughs> Here's I don't know so any and of so this. performing this song from such and such. I don't know who any yeah, of these no, people are. No idea. No, no idea. idea. I'm I'm with you on that one. I I've I've been very confused multiple times, and I I don't find that enjoyable anymore. So, but anyway, um. So thank you very much. How do you have anything in the pipeline for for next year in terms of uh, what we've got uh, coming down the pipe in in merchandise? Yeah, I mean and we're stuff? we're gonna give everybody a little break for for you know during yeah save your money a little bit yeah yes exactly <laughs> save up because in, you know as we get into next year. We'll be ready to do another flood of merchandise. We'll have, uh, I know we had probably another three or four things for Wonders of Life as we wrap that up uh, that, that we'll be able to offer. And certainly Goodness. as we go forward into the, our next uh, our next sets of, uh, of episodes, we'll, we'll have a lot of new stuff too. So that particular yeah. p- pavilion just, it's, it's amazing. It's a, a, it just lends so well to, uh, uh, you know, to the to the, the amount of uh, what do you call it out there, the fodder for for, for oh, t-shirts yeah. and stuff. Well, 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 it's not just one attraction; it's like twenty attractions at once. Yeah, and then all the all sorts of little things that are going on in the in the pavilion that you can play off of. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, but looking forward to that. So, um, but as always, we thank you, our listeners. It's been another wonderful year. Um, it's hard to believe that we started this back in two thousand fifteen, something like that. 14th or I don't, I don't remember anymore yes uh, yes exactly that year but uh, without the listeners we wouldn't be here today so we thank you for your continued support not only through writing into us and the donations uh, but making sure that you're heard and, and we know that what we're producing out there is something that you want to hear because Brian always said we want to put on a show whether it's a podcast or an event that we ourselves would want to attend so by you guys attending we know we feel we're reaching the hearts of uh, a lot of people. I hope you particularly enjoyed our discussion of snow earlier. Yes. Living yes. And if you, with uh, snow. And how, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll wash my next... hair with snow. <laughs> <laughs> snow. How we, we got some snow uh, the other day. And um, I'm going to put a little bit into a bottle and send it down to you so you can have some Northeast <laughs> snow. Oh, that's fantastic. Put some yeah. dry ice. Would you like it on a shaker top so you, you know, can put it on a salad send, send, or anything? Send him enough so when his kids come back Christmas morning, he can just beam them with a snowball right that would the be, actual that northeast would snow. You want to know what it's yeah, like, exactly. kid? 
This is what it is. Poof. I'll just throw the bottle at him with the water inside. <laughs> no, we'll pack it in dry ice so it stays frozen. Oh, okay. Exactly. I get there you. you I get you now. There you oh, go. That's even, that's, even, that's even better. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. a real snow. Right. Here, Phoenix, you, you wanted to down. know what snow was like. Fly it down in a cooler <laughs> on a plane. You know, be... That's how you wake them up Christmas morning. Just dump the whole cooler on the top of them. The whole cooler right on top of them, yeah. <laughs> Look what FedEx bought you. <laughs> Santa left it for you. That's right. Uh, but all serious, thank you to everybody, all of our listeners. And gentlemen, thank you uh, to all of you, uh, all four, three of you, for another wonderful year. Looking forward to the next year. And uh, may all your Christmas dreams come true. And I know Santa will bring you what you want. I know, you know, Brian, you're going to have that orange this year. Uh, probably. We'll have that orange one way or another. So there we go. And then so. I usually try to make it to Florida before uh, honey bell season ends. No, that's in early right. February, yeah. so I try to make it down there for my winter sojourn so I can get some honey bells. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right, well, to our, all of our listeners, once again, thank you very much. Um, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Uh, whatever you're celebrating. Joyous yes. Noel. Happy Hanukkah. Happy we Hanukkah. catch you in time for it that. It is the second yeah. night of Hanukkah. So It is the second yep. night, yeah. Yes. Uh, happy Kwanzaa and uh, whatever else it is that you're celebrating. And happy New Year. Celebrate it well. Yeah, and happy yes. New Year. Yeah. Celebrate it well. Celebrate it safe. Enjoy everybody. And uh, we will see you in the next year. Thanks a lot, all. And Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen, JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT, and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt, 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Mm-hmm.